everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Karen and Toss. This is a podcast slash YouTube channel where I, your host, Karen and I, speak to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, I'm joined by writer and director Mike Doxford to talk about his film, Non-Negotiable, which is an extremely cute film, but it's also a very deep and, in, um, and intuitive film about the relationships between children and their parents and the relationship between parents and their impending childhoods. Um, but before we get into talking about non-negotiable, I'm going to ask Mike to say a bit about himself and what inspired him to become a filmmaker and writing this particular film. So thank you, Mike. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Um, well, I guess, yes. Where did it all come from? <laughs> I mean, for, for me, all I've ever known is kind of filmmaking. It's kind of all I've ever really wanted to do. Um, I think it probably stems back to the magic of cinema. And for me, that was the countless VHSs that I just managed to accumulate as a child. Mm. Um, I mean, I would, <laughs> I, I actually just remember like um, getting blank VHS tapes and sticking it in the VCR and recording it through the night. And then it would catch some sort of movie. I'd get up in the morning and I'd press play and then I'd watch whatever that movie was. So I was, I was very much like a movie, movie a day uh, <laughs> type, type of kid. Um, and yeah, I think I always gravitated as a kid to like towards anything creative. That was definitely my sort of outlet in life, um, whether that was art or drawing, you know, or as soon as I got my first handicam, I was kind of like making, making little stories. In fact, my very first film, I must've been like an early teen was all about, uh, it was a story about a, a teddy bear that ran away from home because he didn't feel loved anymore. Um, maybe that's a, there's a child parental sort of theme in there. I don't know. Maybe it's something I keep coming back to. Anyway, that was the very first, uh, uh story I kind of like made and, um, it was all sort of lo-fi. I was like holding the head of the bear as it kind of walked. So it looked like mm -hmm. it was moving down the street. Um, yeah. So I kind of like just made these little films and got nice responses from people. And, uh, and then from there, I, decided to I, I, you know what it comes down to I think when I was growing up there was kind of like two routes for me in life it was either I was going to become a ghostbuster which I realized wasn't going to be the way um or is to become a filmmaker so I think it was very much the latter is the, the route I decided to go so I then moved to London um having grown up in Somerset which is sort of uh, rural countryside uh in the middle of nowhere need a car to get anywhere um so I spent a lot of time like um, using my imagination out in the garden and so of course creating stories reenacting Indiana Jones whatever it was um, and then wanted to see whether I could take that further so yeah went to London uh, did a filmmaking course uh, and then off the back of that I kind of like had a real love of cinematography as well uh, and went to New York and studied cinematography uh, 35 mil specifically um, so it's nice to kind of like have that knowledge too because we don't really um, do that so much everything's now sort of digital age so yeah um, that's it in a nutshell. I hope that kind of covers it. No, no, it does. And like the whole, and the VHS, like I too can relate to recording things on the VHS tape and, you know, hoping that the tape, the, the, the video player didn't bite up the tape, you know, and like taking a, a piece of scotch tape and sticking it back together, doing that with these, with cassette tapes too. Kids these days, they don't understand the struggle. They don't know the pain of it. Of when a videotape chews up your tape, your VHS tape, and you take it out and it's just like bitten up and chewed. Like, ah, the worst many but, yeah. a tear have i shed for exactly that reason uh, those were those were the good days the kids these days i think those i think those those kind of memories especially from like the 80s and the 90s and um though i think i think those kind of 
experiences actually made a lot of us that grew up in that era appreciate film more because I think it was more tangible for us, you know, to actually have the actual tape in our hand and even like DVDs when DVDs first started, like those kind of inspired a lot of people to like fall in love with film because you have the film medium in your hand. Whereas now everything is digital and it's on TV and like, you know, on the streaming platform, are you going to stick it in remote and turn it on? You know, they don't have the actual like feeling the film in your hand. And I think, yeah, I think that was, I think actually is, I think that's what makes our generation particularly special. Yeah, I miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think as well with VHS, you kind of had to work for it a little bit more. You know, you had to, you know, you, it was like a real event. I remember going to yeah. the video store with your family and like, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd bicker a bit like non-negotiable over like what film was, you know, you're yes. all going to watch tonight. And um, and then even at the end of it, when you watched your film, you know, you had to rewind it so the next person would be able, you know, it's all those kind of like nice little touches that kind of remind you of the magic, uh, as I remember it anyway, of, of cinema. Um, yeah. And also, I don't know how well you remember, but um, when you record a movie off TV, certainly in the UK, uh, you would kind of like have a slightly different cut to the one that you might have seen in the cinema. There might yes. be like scenes <laughs> in there that obviously cut out bits of gore or whatever it might be. So you never quite knew what version of the film, probably to the arc of the filmmakers, they exactly. never quite knew what film it would be. Or you might even get like the commercials. If you couldn't, if you couldn't stop, you might get even commercials. And like, I was talking about this very same thing with another filmmaker, Christian Mercado. Like he was the same way he, he became inspired to be a filmmaker because of like the whole experience of watching film on VHS tapes, you know, and this stuff. And like we talked about going to the video store and it was the same thing for me, you know, my brother would take my sister and I every weekend, we have to select our tapes. And we had uh, like, we, we each had a chance. We each had to take two tapes because it was five tapes you could rent from the video store for a weekend and it would be two for me two for my sister and one for him but it would have to be something that we would all want to watch and like yeah remember that like, you have to rewind the tapes before you return them if not you get charged for not re rewinding the tapes ah memories but but yeah like i think that was, there was that was that experience and like even recording films kind of made us feel like you know like maybe we are like filmmakers too like you know watching if it first we it was films like um S, um, was it TNT, you know, and those kind of channels, like Turner Classic Movies and those kind of stuff. You watch films and like, even when you watch buy, buy a film from the video store, a lot of it was maybe pirated, you know, recorded within the, the, the cinema and stuff. You see like people popping up in the theaters and you hear people walk, like it's kind of giving the theater experience because you hear the audience and you see people walking across the bottom of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those really were the good days. Um, <laughs> Um, and then speaking about the good days, like non-negotiable, I think it kind of like in a way harkens back to that because it does like for any of us, like when we were kids, like we have like, I've had the experiences with my, my sister and I, we would have contracts with our mother. Our mother <laughs> made us sign like contracts for chores, you know, like, if we wanted, if you wanted something particular, she'd be like, okay, you want, you want to do this, you want to go to the fair, whatever, you have to do your chores, you know, you have to make sure you do your homework, clean up after yourself and that kind of stuff. And like for this character, um, Kat, she, she's the same as she has. She's like negotiating with her peers. And at first you don't understand what she's negotiating for. But even the fact that she has a contract, you know, she has the drawings and it shows you how she's still, she sounds mature because she's like non-negotiable. She has her terms and her considerations. She's a, a, a burgeoning lawyer, but she has like pictures of a Stark, you know, she's talking about getting a puppy. 
you know, and like eating ice cream. These are her non-negotiables. So talk about this, what inspired this particular film and what inspired this particular story of Kat and her um, and her contract with her parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I guess just to give it a, a sentence for anyone who's kind of listening or watching, you, essentially you've got this nine-year-old girl who presents a list of non-negotiable terms to her parents in sort of exchange for them telling her that they're expecting another child. So she expects these terms to be honored, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so where does that stem from? Well, I'm, I'm, I've always been very fascinated about the dynamic between uh, parents uh, and, and children. And like, how can you um, subvert that? How can you play with that? I think I've always been super interested in. And so I, I guess the, the first thing that came, came to my mind was how could I create a scenario for a film where you would have a young person provide a list of terms? Okay, it's like childish and it's handwritten or whatever, but it could still carry some weight. And I just thought, wow, that's a really fun premise. Um, but so it didn't just feel sort of one note, like how could I actually have some real substance behind it um, where you would actually be really intrigued to see how it plays out. And the idea behind uh like a new arrival felt like a great sort of space to put that in because actually when you sort of dig deeper and where you kind of start to realize what the list actually represents in the film is actually fear you know it actually represents the fear that the young girl feels about the new arrival and what that means with her relationship with her parents and and that's sort of the, the the equal fear that the parents have as well about being parents themselves. Like, you know, they've done it once, but can they do it again? And um, can they continue to, to, to be the best parents that they want to be? So that I think is, is the nice turn that the film kind of like, um, I guess it takes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it does touch on fear and it's like, she's afraid that she's going to be replaced. You know, she's afraid that she's not going to have the same amount of love that her parents had for her before. Like, you know, she's like thinking, I'm getting a new sibling. So they're in love. As a child, she already understands that they have to devote time and attention and also love to this new baby. And she she's showing, and, and, and that's one of those things where it showed like children are very intuitive, you know, children are very smart. Like children are way more um aware of what's going on around them than adults give them credit for. I I worked with kids almost my entire life. And so I, I I always knew, like, I've always known that kids are extremely smart, you know, and I fear children. I fear children more than I fear adults, you know, and, <laughs> and I take that so seriously. The, 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 the things that kids would say, you look at them like, you know, you're worrying me. But also, <laughs> but, they, but they also scare me because they they see more than adults think they, they want, they, they see, you know, like they're, they, and for like this little girl, she's very aware of that her life is going to change. She's very aware that it's a fundamental shift in her reality. And she's expressing this in a way that works for her. You know, like she's taking time to spend time with her friend, talking about her friend is like, um, you know, expanding her raisins. And I think it's like adorable. And like the language that she uses is to me is very realistic. Children have like children do speak like that. I know children who speak the same way that she does, you know, and like think the same way that she does, you know, and wanting to negotiate and wanting to take things on her own terms. And something that the film really, that I think the film really touches on in a very, um, in a very smart way is that it touches on how pure, when parents give children um, a, a self-assurance, you know, like this little girl is comfortable expressing herself 
in a way that works for her. You know, you can tell that her parents, that they give her space, you know, that they, if she has, um, if she has something she wants to say, they don't shut her down, you know, that they listen to her and that they, and that she's able to present things that she may not find, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that she may not approve of, you know, and that shows that it's a healthy dynamic between the parents and the children, you know, that this little girl feels comfortable enough to drop a whole 57 term contract and knows that her parents are actually going to consider what she's saying. So I'm going to talk a bit about that first, about um, just the contracts and the terms and what that says about their relationship. Well, I think you say so many interesting points there. Um, and I must just also say, well, that's the beauty of this film for me, is I didn't realize how many people would resonate with um, actually either side. Like, oh, uh, I totally see it from the, the from the young girl's perspective. I felt exactly the same way when my sibling arrived and I felt like I just wanted to leave. They don't love me anymore. And then you hear the parents talk about like, oh, I remember when my daughter or son, you know, flipped out and like <laughs> wanted to leave. So um, I wasn't totally expecting that. And I think the reason why I guess those responses is because it is grounded in truth. I think um, people can really resonate with it. And and I think that comes from that interaction between uh, child and parents. Um, and in a lot of ways, the parents, you know, we, we live in a world where we are told like a certain dynamic, like parents know everything, child goes along with it. And I think it certainly has that dynamic but then it tries to push that to the max it tries to really uh, say to the audience well maybe you need to realize kind of what you were saying is that kids are very intuitive like they they i feel like the young girl always she always seems one step ahead because she's really thought about this yeah. whereas the the excuse of just saying hey we're the parents we know what we're doing you're too young you don't understand doesn't fly here because actually, uh, Deb has really actually thought about it. Um, and in Deb's world, everything she's presenting makes complete sense. And I think that's that's so important with storytelling as well, is when you have characters, whether you like them or not. But the, that, the, the, the mindset of that character has to be fully in control of what they believe is right. And even any villain in any sort of you know, Marvel film or whatever it might be, when they fully believe it, then, then the audience can get on board. So I think I really tried to push that. I don't think I was trying to make an adult comedy, um, even though it's that seems to be, it's making people laugh, but it really tries to ground itself in reality and situational humor. And I think that's what carries it through. And then hopefully there's a couple of lines in there which make you chuckle. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense that it would have a kind of humorous tone because like it, it's it, it when you think about it, it's kind of absurd, but in a in a bit in a in a sense go where like this show just came up with a, a contract. Like that in itself is funny. Like but who does that, you know? Like and she has like all of these terms. That is funny. And like the and but I in talking about seeing both sides, if I, I don't have a younger sip, well, technically, I'm a twin. So I'm a fraternal twin and I'm older by two, <laughs> two minutes. And, but we have my sister and I, we have a 10, our brother who's 10 years older than us. And, and so I, I don't, I don't really relate to the whole having a being, you know, like a middle child, even though that my, I used to say that when I was younger, I'm like, I'm the middle child, but it's, it's like the dynamic is, is different. You know, I don't have a sibling who's like three, four five years younger than me. So like, but I, but I can relate to the, to 
feeling that you're that you might get less love than your other siblings you know because like sometimes I would tell my mom I'm like you're paying more attention to sharing than you're paying to me you know or like I would tell my dad I'm like you're fair you're you're favoring sharing more than me. So I relate to it like that. And, and there's a fear and which is like in talking about that, a lot of the film, like the, the humor in the film takes a very, I think that the tone's just very well, you know, like how you, I like how you balance the tones. Like it's more humorous at the beginning, but then once Deb starts to vocalize the fears that she has, you know, that her mom's going to stop taking special time with her to paint her nails and you know, all read story time, read um, singing songs. Like the tone is, that's when it starts to become more serious because you realize this child is honestly very afraid of being left out. You know, she's even talking about understanding that she, her parents might have less love for her. And so she's willing to accept whatever amount of love they can give her. And that's so sad because every child that when they have a new sibling, I'm sure they, they feel that, you know, they can relate to that feeling. Like even while as intuitive as children are, they still think of things in a very limited way. In scope, mm. you know, they don't understand that love is infinite, that love isn't measurable, you know. So she's thinking in a in like an unlimited term, like, oh, my parents only have like this amount of love. So if they can only if they only have this amount of love to give away, I'm willing to take like a smaller portion if they have to give away more of it to their to their new child. And yeah. I, I think that's that's something that almost anyone can relate to. I think it's not only just parent and child, but it's like if you're in a real romantic relationship or it's a friendship, you know. Or, you know, like you think that the people in, the, if your friend has a, gets a new acquaintance, you're thinking, oh, they're going to have less time to devote to me, less, less love to devote to me. So that's something that everyone can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I again, I think you make a really valuable point, which was a huge consideration when I was writing the script, which is if you're going to have a precocious young person who is wise beyond their years, always seems, you know, steps ahead of the adults around them. You need to have those moments that remind the audience, oh, actually, this is actually just a nine-year-old girl. <laughs> it's like doing something serious. Oh, there's a puppy. It's kind of like that. You need you need that balance. Um, and I, I have to give huge praise to to my wife, Jill uh, Winternitz, who plays the mother in the film. She's oh, okay. an incredible actress. And um she does an incredible job, as does Samuel, who plays the dad, of keeping the stakes in the film. They, they, they if it, if they just kind of like were wishy washy with what was happening, the film would kind of lose a lot of its weight behind it. But they do an incredible job of, of finding that balance of trying to appease her, keep hold of the situation, but realize that actually they need to balance it all. Um, by keeping her happy, uh, and they don't want this to get any worse than it already has. So that kind of brings the stakes to it. And like, I think they, they're, they're the real unsung heroes of this film. Like, uh, they are, they are yeah. because like, at least I, they mentioned the tone, like the tone becomes more serious. Like, yes, because, um, Deb is talking about her fears, but then also when Kat herself begins talking about her fears as a mother, you know, about being petrified about raising this brand new baby, you know, this, this human being where life, you like everything is, terrifying you like you know you're you're responsible for raising you know like you gotta feed this child clothe this child look after them give them self-insurance and you and while you may intuitively love that child looking after that child is a terrifying aspect you know I don't have kids but as I as I, as I said I worked with kids and looking after other people's children is a terrifying thing like when they've been the parents drop off the child you're like oh wait I'm responsible for you. I have to watch you. I have to make sure you don't get hurt because I have to answer to your parents, you know, but it's the same thing. She's like, 
I I will now have two or three three children to look after. <laughs> that's, that's a very daunting prospect. And the dad, um, as you mentioned, Jay, who's played by Samuel, like he's I think he he does a very good job of balancing the tone and interjecting the humor in a way, but it's not in devaluing the scene. Like his, his humor, like when he talks about the sister, he's like, Well, yeah, your sister does irritate me. And like he relates to what Deb is saying. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's like the he's like the mediator he's like i understand where both my wife and both my daughter is coming from you know and um and so i love that we have that dynamic between them because you get to see the relationship between the parents as well and which is important yeah. in the story because while it's about deb and it's about this nine-year-old girl and her fears and her wants it's also about the relationship between the parents you know like they have to they themselves have to negotiate how they want to be parents not only to one child but also to two are possibly three so like the non-negotiables are also between the parents as well yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent I think you know you make a short film and you know there's only so much you can do when it comes to character and explaining uh what's going on but I still think we managed to pack a lot in to what is such an important core of this film which is this these parents who are going to be having a new baby and what they are going through so we we spent a lot of time talking about that and making sure that there are, you know, there's three characters in this film, but the relationship is different between mother, daughter, uh, daughter, father, father, mother, like, and how all those three are playing off against each other within that space and how like one might react to another in a, in a different way. And um, that to me is super appealing because humans generally don't say what they, what's in their head. Do they find another way of expressing it? Um and that brings beautiful subtext. And I think the film has got that in those little like moments between characters, which just keeps you, keeps you wondering, uh, like what's really going on here? And like the parents, like, you know, there's, there's, there's bubbling nervousness, I guess, for, for what, what's going to come. And are they ready? Are they not ready? You know, all those questions, which I'm sure they're going through. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. Because like, they, they have to, like when she says, oh, you guys have six months to get this figured out. I think it, for the parents, it's also like a moment where they're like, oh, wait, yeah, we're going to have a brand new baby in six months too, you know? Like it's like a moment of reality and a moment of revelation for them because, you know, sometimes <laughs> you're expecting something something, and then like there's always a moment of clarity where you're like, oh, wait, crap, this is really going to happen, <laughs> you know? And like it's like a moment of revelation for them too where they're like, wait. In, we're, we really do have six months to make sure we get everything started out and they have six months to solidify their relationship with their daughter you know to make they have six months to make sure that they make her feel comfortable they make her feel wanted they make her feel cherished and loved so like there's a t it's like a clock ticking down because like the world their world is going to explode in six months because they <laughs> baby and, like, life is not going to be the same <laughs> after that not at all um <laughs> yeah yeah no that that's fun and I, I I think I just want to make a side point as well that I thank you for like watching the sh it's a short film and I appreciate you watching it and anyone as well that does watch short films because like you know the, the, generally these things are made out of a love of telling a story you know that's why you you know you have this idea oh I'd love to just put that into a little film and you go and make it and then the hardest thing is getting it in front of people to watch mm -hmm. it you know, you, you you spend all this time pouring effort into this thing. So like anyone who, I, I really recommend anyone to go to film festivals to see not just the features, but the short film program as well. You know, you'll get these little nuggets, these great little stories that people are trying to deliver something a little bit out the box. And um, I don't think it's on a lot of enough people's radar to go to a 
festival to go and watch a short film program. So um, yeah, I thank you for watching it and uh, you know helping to spread the word. For sure, I love doing a lot of. I think I do a fair amount of. If I was to measure it, probably I do a probably an equal amount of feature of interviews for feature films as I do for short films. And I tend to do more short films for my podcast and YouTube channel because I my from part for me as a film critic and a journalist, I, I try to just like help promote like independent films and filmmakers. And I love short films in particular because you get such you can get such perfectly concise storytelling in such a small frame of time. And like I always say that I think doing short films um inspires filmmakers to be more um creative, you know, like they got they have like more constraints. So you like you gotta work around like different challenges and different problems, especially with scripting. Like you got to make sure that your script is more tight. And like, that's why sometimes I always say like, I, to me, you, I can tell when filmmakers start out doing features versus when film, filmmakers start out doing shorts. Because I think film, filmmakers who start out doing shorts and then like graduate to features, like their, their scripting is, a, is more tight, you know, it's more coherent. Like they, they know to make sure that every frame and every second of the film counts. And like, there's very few times where like there was like they, they feel like scenes feel like fillers so I'm yeah. always like happy to talk to like filmmakers like you who do short films because it honestly is I think probably one of my favorite forms of storytelling oh, wow. oh I love that I love hearing that I really love it and I, I'm currently at Cleveland Film Festival where non-negotiable was playing and um there's lots of great oh but this is a fantastic festival I mean any any filmmaker if you can get your film into this festival it's yeah it's worth it and visit it and meet the wonderful people here and there's like a real buzz i think that's it's america and canada in particular like there's a real love for um filmmakers and and communities coming together to watch people's films which i absolutely love and that's why i'll always try and make the effort whenever i can um non-negotiable played in montreal at just for laughs and that was an incredible experience it's such an amazing festival and um people just they just they want to talk about your films they want to they want to be involved they want to they want to screen they want to talk about the art and i i just love that so yeah no sure i i didn't even know you should have Montreal. i'm in toronto so like not too far from yeah. me <laughs> but um but i again congratulations and like everyone in the cast did fantastic i really love it and if you were to do a second one, I'd be like, I wonder if they'd ever get a dog, what type of dog they get. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. Well, we did. The film's got everything. It's, you know, we have a child actor. We have a dog in it. Uh, yeah, we really pushed the boat out. We filmed it all in a day. Uh, oh. And our equipment arrived two hours late. So uh, <laughs> so we were we were up against it, but somehow we man- we still managed to make something and we're all very proud of. So Doing it in one day is very impressive. So like, again, like, extra congratulations to the cast <laughs> and the group because like, that's impressive, honestly. <laughs> but I will get going on a sequel. I will, uh, I'll let you know what that will be. I'll get my, get the brain box going. Yes, for sure. I know you have to go now, but again, thank you so much for talking with me, Mike. <laughs> Thank you so much. And yeah, I really appreciate it. And um, I hope one day we get to meet in person. Me too. I hope so too. I'm always like covering different film festivals like TIFF, Fantasia Fest, like, you know, all of those different ones. So I do like independent film festivals too, kind of like Cleveland, that kind of stuff too. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, good stuff. Thank you, Carolyn. Bye. You too. Have Bye a good now. day. Cheers. So everyone, that was another episode of Carolyn Toss for the Series What Happened podcast. And today I was joined by filmmaker and writer, Mike Doxford to talk about his film, Non-Negotiable, which is a, a, a fun and intuitive and a very smart um, short film about this nine-year-old girl, this precocious 
very smart, very intuitive nine-year-old girl who comes up with a list of terms of her, a list of non-negotiable terms for her parents when they announce that they're expecting a new addition to their family. And I just love the dynamics that Mike and the cast explored in this film. I am going to just mention their names now. So you have the little girl, Dad, played by Isabella Dwenska, and Cat played by Jill Winteritz, and Dad played by Samuel Anderson. I think they, for, he said they filmed this in a day. So like, that's, that's like extra impressive because I think they did, a, they all did a fantastic job with the story and the script and like setting the mood of the story. So as um, Mike said, like the film is showing up as we recorded today, film at the Cleveland International Film Festival. But if you can find it at other film festivals, make sure to support as well as support your local film festivals. There's many cities that have local film festivals that should be patronized and like, you know, give short films a chance. Not everything doesn't always have to be feature films. Give short films a chance and give filmmakers and cast of short films and the crews of these films a chance and like give them some love as well. And again, thank you so much to Mike for joining me today. And you can find this and other episodes of Carolyn Talks under So Here's What Happened podcast on ACAST and Bawaido.net and other podcast streaming platforms. You can find the video versions of these podcast episodes on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash at sign Carolyn underscore Hines. You can find my interviews for, with the African American Film Critics Association. We did our first interview for our first virtual roundtable this year with the cast and the creator of Saturdays, which is a new Disney Plus family comedy and other interviews that I've been doing for film festivals like Sundance, South by Southwest, Tip. My year has been going amazingly well and um, I've been having an, a, a fantastic time talking to filmmakers and actors and producers and cinematographers and all of these creatives involved in the film and television industry. And um, I've been doing some writing to, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to do as much pieces as I can this year, but you know, pace myself. And like, you know, guys, I just need to get my editors to accept pitches. That's usually the biggest challenge for me as a writer, just getting pitches accepted. But you can go to my R3 page, that's authroy.com slash Carolyn Hines and find links to all of my published writing, including a piece that I did this year for the Korean Film Council's new um, Korean film site called K-Movie Today. You can find links to that and find my article that I wrote about why films, like why Korean films, like the decision to leave by Park Chan-wook was not included in the Oscars this year. I spoke about the Oscars having an issue fundamentally with regards to not acknowledging films from other countries and like, you know, and like, like the biases within the film industry as well. So, and I did a profile on Angela Bassett and I also spoke to cinematographer Kramer Montego who worked on Creed 3 with Michael B. Jordan. Um, so that was a great interview with him as well. And that is on variety.com. And um, I think I'm going to wrap up here. So you can also find um, links to my other podcast. So here's what happened, which Carolyn which Karen Toss is a sub podcast of, as well as my Asian drama podcast, Beyond the Romance, which I will be taking out of hiatus in April. I've been on hiatus for a while, but I'm, I've been missing discussing my Korean and my Asian drama. So I'll get back into that. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. At the hashtag, at the handle at Carrie CNH Show. That's your ECNH12. And until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, everyone stay safe. Bye. <laughs>